So please do keep your Bibles open to Leviticus chapter 8, and let's pray as we come to look at this together. Our Father in heaven, as we read the words on the page, they seem so distant from us today. And yet, Lord, we know that this is your word and that you speak to us even today through it. So, Lord, give us minds that are open and hearts that are willing to receive your word. And would you help us to understand what you're saying to us through this part of the Bible? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, here in Belfast, we're used now to hearing about churches closing down. Um, I wonder, can you see these pictures? Can you see them there? The, the first one used to be Ulsterville Presbyterian Church, and that's on Lisburn Road. And has anyone been there recently? Do you know what that is? Anyone got it? Yeah, it's a wonderful restaurant called Sapphire, and it gets very good reviews. So if you're looking somewhere new to go in Belfast, try it out. But that church, it closed down, and it's now a restaurant. And in the second picture, anyone know where that is? It's a bit more tricky. Okay, so that was Clifton Street Methodist Church, up in Clifton Street in North Belfast. And now, now that is an Indian community center. Here in Belfast, we are used to churches closing down. In fact, whenever you read any church literature about churches nowadays, churches are generally declining, and the future for churches often doesn't look very good. But that's just half the story. Because yes, some churches are closing, but also many new churches are opening. On the next picture, you'll see two of them. Uh, this one on the right, that's a brand new church up on Cer Carlisle Circus. It's a Presbyterian church called Grace and Hope Community Church. It's a new church reaching new people. It's a new group of people worshipping God in a new place. And then you probably have heard of Donabate Presbyterian Church. That's in North Dublin. It's now about 10 years old, but I was there when that church was started. We were a small church called Malahide Presbyterian Church. There were less people in Malahide Church than there are here at Ravenhill, and they had a vision to start a new church in this place called Donna Beat. And so they began by getting a congregation. Some people from Malahide said, yes, we'll go there. And then they got a place to meet. They found a community center where they were going to gather. And then they got a minister, this wonderful guy from Dublin called Andy. And then they got going. They started to meet together to worship God in November, I think it was 2010 or 11. And you see on that first Sunday morning, there was just so much excitement, such of a buzz, such of a thrill, people coming together to worship God for the first time. Well, that's what's happening in Leviticus 8 through to 10. If you remember from the big story, God had rescued his people from Egypt He'd taken them into the wilderness and he'd started to live amongst them. There was a tabernacle, this ornate tent in the middle of them and God's presence was there and the people lived around this tabernacle. But here in chapters 8 to 10, the people begin to worship God. They begin to worship him. Chapters 1 to 7, God told them how he wanted them to worship him through all these strange sacrifices. And now in chapters 8, 9, and 10, they begin to worship God. If you have a look at the start of chapter, uh, chapter 8, you see the heading, look above it, above verse 1, the ordination of Aaron and his sons. So the first thing they do in chapter 8 was they got their priests ordained. Um, I was ordained here at Ravenhill about four and a half years ago. 
And if you've never been to a Presbyterian ordination service, I don't recommend it unless you know the person because they are long and they are elaborate and they are dull and there's lots and lots of little bits to it. But they're definitely not as long as the ordination service in Leviticus chapter 8. The ordination service lasted for eight days. And they did all sorts of strange things. So they gave the priests these clothes. We read about that. The turban for Aaron the high priest. And the sash and the ephod and all of these strange things. They gave them these precious clothes to wear that marked them out as being different. They anointed them with oil to show that there was a change in their status. They even did this strange thing where they got the blood of one of the sacrifices and they put the blood on their earlobe, their right earlobe, their right thumb and their right toe. Now, we're not going to go into all of the details of the ordination and I'm not even going to try to explain their significance because I have no idea. But the big picture of Leviticus chapter 8 is that they ordained priests. And this was God's command. If you look at verse 1, it was the Lord who said to Moses, bring Aaron and his sons. The Lord put priests in place here in Leviticus chapter 8. Now, what is the job of a priest? Um, I did a wedding this summer, and uh, someone said to the father of the, the, the bride, I really like that priest this morning. And, and, and I'm not a priest. You see, a priest in the Bible, and even priests in the Catholic Church, they believe there's something different about their job. In the Bible, a priest was a mediator. It was someone who went between sinful people and God. The priest stood in the middle. And he made sacrifices on behalf of sinful people so they could be right with God. He was a mediator. People couldn't go to God directly without a priest making sacrifices for them. The priest was the one who made sure that the people could come to God. And I am not a priest. And you know what? Today, there's no need for these type of priests anymore. Back in the Old Testament, there had to be a mediator, someone to bridge the gap, someone to make a way for sinful people to come into the presence of a holy God. But priests are no longer required. And the reason for that is because of Jesus. If we go on to the next slide, you can see it there in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Look what it says about Jesus. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. If you turn to the New Testament and open the book of Hebrews, it's another tricky book, but it's basically a commentary trying to help us understand Leviticus. And Hebrews says, now there is only one priest. There is only one person needed for you to be right with God. There's only one person needed for you now to be able to, to come to God and to speak with him and to enjoy life with him. And that one priest, that one mediator is now Jesus. Friends, sometimes you might feel that you're not good enough to come to God. You might feel like you're just too bad or too sinful or have made too many mistakes or aren't spiritual enough. But let me tell you this morning, you have a great high priest and he has paid the ultimate sacrifice with his blood and he has cleansed you from all of your sin if your trust is in him. And now because of him, you can go to the Father directly. You can make your prayers to him in Jesus' name. 
You can worship him in Jesus' name. You can draw near to him in Jesus' name. And he will draw near to you. Today, we don't need priests anymore, these human priests, because we have a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for us. So anyway, chapter 8, they get the priests ordained. Then in chapter 9, they get their service going. Now, I reckon if we started a new church service, we would not do the things in Leviticus chapter 9. Because if you read Leviticus chapter 9, what you'll see is that they worshipped God by making sacrifices to him. Rams and oxes and bulls, they, they slaughtered these animals and they got the blood and they sprinkled them on the altar. The priests did this on behalf of God's people. If you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about the sacrifices and a bit about their meaning, so I can't go into that again. But that would be strange, wouldn't it? It would be strange for us to make sacrifices. And yet in the Bible, these sacrifices are not explicitly told not to anymore. It's interesting, isn't it? If you read the Bible from Leviticus right through to the time of Jesus, this is how God's people worshipped him. They worshipped him through sacrifices. They went to the temple in Jerusalem and they offered sacrifices. So here's a question. Why do we not sacrifice anymore? Apart from the fact that we'd be in trouble with the USPCA or something like that. But why do we no longer make sacrifices? Well, again, it's all because of Jesus. Look at what Hebrews says. I know the writing's small. I hope you can see it. But look at what it says. Hebrews 10 says, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, that's Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I don't know what you do after a hard day's work, but I like to sit down. You get in from work and you sit down and you have a cup of tea. And this is kind of the picture of what Jesus has done. He made the ultimate and once and for all sacrifice for sin. And then he sat down because no more sacrifices needed to be made. The reason we don't sacrifice anymore is because Christ's sacrifice was enough. Again, maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you're distant from God and you're wondering, how do I get back to him? Maybe I need to, to, to pray a bit more or maybe I need to, need to come to church more or maybe I need to give more money to charity or maybe I just need to do more good in the community. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel far from God and you're thinking, what sacrifice do I need to make for God now to accept me? Friend, I have great news. The answer is you don't need to make any sacrifice. Jesus has made the one and only sacrifice you need. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're distant and you're far and you want to get back to God, it's not through effort and hard work. It's through looking at Jesus, through running to him, through trusting in his sacrifice on your behalf.
We no longer make sacrifices because Christ has made the only one needed. But what's really interesting, and I find this fascinating, and I never really got this until looking at this stuff this week. We as Christians no longer need sacrifices because we're trusting in the one who's made the ultimate sacrifice. But if you're a Jewish person, and I find this fascinating, according to the Jewish people, according to the scriptures, they still need to make sacrifices to atone for their sin. But they don't anymore. You see, not long after Jesus had died and rose again and ascended into heaven, the Romans came into Jerusalem in AD 70 and they wiped out the temple. They destroyed it completely. And ever since the year AD 70, the Jewish people have never made sacrifices again. And they need a sacrifice for their sin. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. I know some of you here, you're, you're very keen to witness the Jewish people. You're very keen to reach them with the gospel. But can I suggest you have a conversation about this? If blood is required and sacrifice is needed according to your law, how can you get forgiven if you're not making it? And then point them to the one who sacrificed on their behalf. So the, the service in Leviticus chapter 9, we won't be doing that next week. No slaughtering, no sacrifices, no blood. Happy days, none of us will be feeling queasy. But there are two things from Leviticus chapter 9 that I do want us to see. And it's two things that happened at that worship service. And the two things that happened were that they experienced the presence of God and they experienced the blessing of God. Have a look with me at chapter 9, verses 23 to 24. So they made all the sacrifices, and then look what it says in verse 23. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and they fell face down. They worshipped God and God's presence was there. And God's presence is everywhere, but God's presence was there in this very special, very tangible way. His presence was there to such a degree that he, he sent fire out and it consumed the offerings that they made. His presence was so evident that they were full of joy and they fell face down. And I don't know if you recognize it, but when we gather here, God's presence is here. God is among us. God hears our singing. He hears our prayers. He sees our hearts. He knows our minds. When we gather on Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, what we're doing looks pretty ordinary and pretty normal. But we're doing it in the presence of God. And not only did they experience God's presence, but they also experienced his blessing. They got something from God. They gave him their sacrifice and they received something from him. And I want to encourage you folks to, to come out 
on Sunday, week after week after week, because if you do, you will experience the blessing of God. Some Sundays you will experience the blessing of awakening. I don't know if you've ever had a week and God's been off your radar and you feel a bit spiritually tired and you're not really in the mood to go to church. And then you go to church and you get yourself involved in the singing and you hear the Bible read or you hear the Bible preached and suddenly it's like God awakens you and refreshes you and stirs you up again. I hope that happens to you on Sundays as you gather here. We experience the blessing of awakening. On Sundays as well, we experience the blessing of assurance. Because many of us during the week, we make a mess, don't we? We sin. I mean, last week I talked about sinning against others, being a sin against God. I wonder how many of you this week have blown that. I'm sure I have. I'm sure you have. Sometimes in our day-to-day life, we can feel so discouraged and doubting. Can God really accept me? And then we come to church on Sunday and through the songs and through the Bible teaching, we're reminded that we're saved all by grace. We're assured of God's love. We're assured of his forgiveness. On Sundays, we experience the blessing of advancing in our faith, of learning new things about God. Leviticus has been a challenging book, but I hope you're learning something new about God from it. Advancing in our understanding of ourselves. Advancing in our understanding of how to please God. And I hope on Sundays we experience the blessing of awe. Of just being amazed once more by Christ. Folks, I don't know if you recognize it, but here in Leviticus, do you know whose idea it is to start a worship service? It's God's idea. God institutes this. God starts this. God calls for the ordination of the priests. God calls for the sacrifices. And God calls us to gather to worship him week by week, not neglecting it. Now, Leviticus chapter 8 and 9, it's all gone so well. I mean, for a first service, it's all pretty good. The priests got ordained. The service went well. Unbelievably, like we'd be amazed, fire came out and consumed the sacrifice. God's presence was tangibly felt. The people were filled with joy. Whoa! They fall down in their faces and all. I mean, this is a, this is a good worship service. This is one where you couldn't fall asleep in. This is really, really, really good. It's all going so, so well. Until we get to Leviticus chapter 10, when they get things wrong. I um, think it's very important that in the Bible, and it doesn't happen very much, it doesn't happen very often, but there are instances in the Bible, which we might be uncomfortable with, where God brings immediate judgment on people. It doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen sometimes. And here in Leviticus chapter 10, it's one of those times when God brings immediate judgment on Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. Let's read the passage together. Look at chapter 10. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. 
So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Now, whenever something like this happens in the Bible, it's there to warn us of something. It's there to make us aware of something. And the thing that this passage here is here to make us aware of is that God wants us to worship him in the ways that he desires. God wants us to worship him on Sundays according to his commands. He doesn't want us to make up what we do on Sundays. He doesn't want us to do on Sundays things that we think might be fun. He wants us to worship him according to his commands in the way that he has prescribed and commanded. Do you see the particular commentary that the writer of Leviticus says? They offered, authored unauthorized fire, contrary to his command. The thing they did wrong was they approached God and tried to worship him in a way that he had not said was okay. And so we on Sundays and we as God's people, we must be careful how we worship God. We must worship him according to the way that he wants. Well, Marty, how on earth is that? I mean, in Leviticus chapter 9, he wants sacrifice, and we're not going to do that, so what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to do the things that we do here. You see, in the New Testament, we see lots of ways that God calls us to worship him. 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul writes, Give attention to the public reading of Scripture. So we, we read the Bible when we come to worship God. We hear what God says to us through the Bible. Then the next thing, Ephesians 5.19 says this, Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another, making melody in your heart. It says that we're to sing together when we meet with each other. That's why we sing hymns. That's why we sing psalms. That's why we sing praise songs. And then why am I talking this morning? Why am I explaining what's going on here? Well, it's because of what it says in 2 Timothy 4.2. Paul commands Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season. Preach the word. Exalt God by preaching his word. And then we pray together in church. And again, we pray together because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 21, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And the reason we give at church, we, we don't pass a plate anymore, but why do we have offering at the back and the way out? It's because we're commanded to give as well as part of our offering, as part of our, our worship. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, on the first day of the week, let each of you put aside as he may prosper. And then why this morning are we coming to take communion? If you're new to church or new to Christianity, this morning you might not know kind of what's under here and it might look a bit strange. I remember the first time I came to church after becoming a Christian to communion and I had no idea what was going on. But all that's under here is bread and red wine. Bread and wine. And this is a picture of Jesus. The bread reminds us that his body was broken on the cross for us. The redness of the drink reminds us that his blood on the cross was shed for us. This is simply a picture and a way of remembering exactly what Jesus did for us. So as the, the cloths come off in a few minutes and as the bread is passed out and as the wine is passed out and we eat the bread and drink the wine, 
we're simply remembering in a visual way, in a practical way, what Christ has done for us. And again, the reason we're doing this in our worship service is because it's commanded. Jesus says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, do this in remembrance of me. I had a conversation with a lady from the local community a couple of weeks ago. It was a couple of Fridays ago when we were chatting. And she says, she says, I don't go to church, so I don't, she says, but if I did go to church, she says, I think I'd go to an African church. And I said, really, why is that? She says, because they get up and they dance and it's just so lively and full of joy. She says, would you not think about what you do in your church? <laughs> and I kind of half me agreed. I thought, well, yeah, we could be a bit more lively sometimes. But, but you know, on the other half, it was a real challenge. Because basically she was thinking, like, I want to come to church and be entertained. Now, I'm not saying we want to, of course, we don't want to be bored in church. But friends, do you know what's more important than being entertained? Worshipping God, how he commands. Why is it week after week we pray, read the Bible, sing? It's because that's what God wants. I want to encourage you to, to be here and to worship God in the way that he commands. But as I finish, let me just highlight one other thing that Jesus said. You see, you can be very good at going through the motions, very good at coming to church, very good at singing the songs and doing the prayers and all of that stuff. But Jesus, when he speaks about worship, he says this, a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are kind of the worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. We worship God in truth by doing the things he commands. But we can only worship God in spirit, in our spirit, with our hearts, when we engage our hearts and emotions. When we engage our minds. When we engage all of who we are in worship. And this morning I just want to encourage you, if you come to church week after week, but it's all outward and no inward, if you come to church week after week after week and you, you say the prayers and you sing the songs and you read the Bible and you listen to the sermon, but there's nothing inward, no love for God, no delight in God, no heart for God, I want to encourage you to pray and to ask God to ignite your heart to make Christ alive to you, to refresh you again, that you might worship him in spirit and in truth. In just a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And I'm going to encourage you, and will you, I hope you would, you, would you try this for me this morning? It's a little bit different, slightly different. I'd like you to try it with me, if you will. Uh, if you don't want to, I'm really sorry, but please give it a go and see how it goes. But, but can I encourage you, just as a sign of our unity, as a sign of our togetherness, that just to wait until everyone's received the bread and then all take it together. And then just wait until everyone's received the wine and then all take it together. I'll give you the cue whenever I'm taking mine. Just as a sign of unity that we're God's people, not as individuals, but as God's people gathered together, united in Christ. Will you give that a go for me or is that a no? Is that, I'm, I'm, will you give that a go? Okay, let's see how it goes.